Welcome to this BGSM podcast. I'm James Walsh and I'm here today with the Tottenham Hotspur medical team. I'm with Dr. Shabazz Mugal and Mr. Jeff Scott. Jeff started in football with the Fiji national team before moving to London and joining Fulham Football Club. He's now been head physio at Tottenham Hotspur for 10 years. Shabazz started in football with Leighton Orient Football Club, moved to the England youth setup and then progressed through the ranks at Tottenham Hotspur and has been there for six years. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start off with your route into working for Tottenham Hotspur. Jeff? Um, well, I trained in New Zealand as a physiotherapist um, and it was always my dream to come and work, work in the English Premiership. Um, so after fulfilling a couple of years in private practice in New Zealand and, and doing all different levels of a sports cover for football teams and rugby teams, um, I was lucky enough to be offered a job at Fulham Football Club in London. Um, I spent two years at Fulham before the opportunity came that I was able to, um, to make a move to Tottenham, um, where I've been for the last 10 years now. Brilliant. Shabazz, how, how, what was your route into working for Tottenham? Well, I trained in London, so I finished my uh, uh, doctor training uh, in London, and then I um, always wanted to do sports medicine. And the traditional route was to train to be a GP and then perhaps do a master's or certainly a diploma in sports medicine and then uh, aim to start working at a club. Um, so I took the traditional route. I did uh, my GP training and then I did a master's in sports medicine. Um, and opportunities came up at that time and the first one was at Leighton Orient Football Club uh, so that was my um, introduction into football. I I then went back into hospital medicine because sports medicine became a speciality in this country and I was one of the first registrars on the London de Deanery uh, training scheme. Having completed that and in, at the same time working part-time at Leighton Orient I also managed to get a job part-time with Spurs at the academy and the reserve team. So I was juggling three jobs and then in my holidays I would um, cover the England youth teams and do um, training camps for them. Um, eventually it all uh, finished with me completing training and luckily for me at the same time the opportunity came up uh, for the club doctor position at Tottenham and I was offered the position and uh, now I'm going to go into my fifth season as the club doctor. What would you say the main differences are between working at a low level and working at the higher level for Tottenham? For me, I would definitely say um, the resources that are available to you as a medical team. Um, the higher the level that you go up, um, the, the more resources the clubs will make available to you, um, but also the demands are much greater as well. So um, demands on your time um, and obviously of your expertise um, in providing the most up-to-date treatment to keep your players fit um, and available for match play. Yeah, I think Jeff's answered that um, very eloquently. Um, there's definitely um, more resources available as you go up to the higher levels. Uh, there's definitely more demands on your time and uh, on your qualities, uh, the, int the education that you have. So yes, it's, uh, it's a higher level and you have more at your disposal, but also you need to be able to use those uh, assets and those, um, the equipment that you have and the resources that you have 
Is there any particular pieces of equipment or um, facilities that you have at Tottenham that maybe a lot of our listeners wouldn't be uh, so aware of or used to using? Okay, well, we're very lucky at Tottenham. Um, Two seasons ago now, we have moved into a state-of-the-art facility um, in the north of London, in Enfield. Um, I think, roughly, the club spent about £50 million providing a a training ground that they thought would be the kind of most up-to-date and provide our players with the... Um, the best resources that they can provide to uh, allow our players to reach the the height of their careers. Um, At our training ground, we have everything, really. We have a um, a full medical suite um, in our treatment room for the physiotherapist. There's about 10 treatment beds, um, a huge amount of um, electrotherapy um, and manual therapy equipment. Um, We have a rehabilitation gym um, which is designed particularly for our injured players to use uh, quite a open space where they can do quite early stage work and a huge um, main gym as well um, aside from that um, we also have hydrotherapy pools um, hydroworks pools which is a quite a small square swimming pool with a treadmill um, in the bottom that allows the players to run at an ever decreasing um, percentage of their body weight depending on how deep the water is um, and on that note, we also have uh, Alter G machine, which is an anti-gravity treadmill, um, which is essentially a big bubble in which the, the player can run, um, and it allows you to decide exactly what percentage body weight they would run. So the idea is that at any stage, the player can do whatever they can at whatever stage of the injury they are. So you know, even a player with a fractured um, tibia or fractured fibula um, could be running either in the hydroworks or the... Um, Alter G within two to three weeks of their injury, which previously wasn't possible. Um, so that will become pain free um, and in a very low body weights just to start to get the um, bone absorption and um, to help healing. So those are the kind of types of things that we have. Um, there's any number of pieces of kit, um, but what we try not to do is just have it for the sake of it. We try to keep it so that um, our gym is uncluttered and we all the pieces of equipment that we have we use regularly. And we also take um, we take a big interest in making sure it's an optimum environment for the players. So that means that the nutrition is a is a key aspect as well. So obviously, breakfast and lunch is provided for the players, and we work in uh, in conjunction with a nutritionist to make sure that it's the um, the best possible fuel that they're putting into their bodies to aid their performance. And it's just the aim is to create an environment where they can focus solely on um, their performance and their sport and everything else is taken care of. It sounds like you've got uh, a really comprehensive uh, set of tools there. Um, Can you describe a day of working within this sort of multidisciplinary team environment? How how would the day go for you guys? Well, the idea of the elite facility is that it encourages players to come in very early in the day. Um, So our players will first start arriving at about 9 o'clock. Our our staff have already been in um, much earlier than that for some of them um, to discuss the treatment for the individual players who are injured on any one day. Um, obviously a majority of that will be done the previous day so we, we know what they will be doing but just to set out the timetable so as a player comes in each morning they can look at our injury board and see their timetable set out for them for the day. Um, after our meeting we then go into preparing the players who are fit um, who are obviously our main priority because almost um, without exception there's always another game coming up within the next couple of days. 
Um, so it's to prepare the fit players for training, um, and that takes priority in the early part of the day. Um, soon after that, the injured players will come in, and that's when their treatment will start. So for the injured players, it tends to be slightly later in the day. Um, but the facility as a whole is designed to keep the players there for the majority of the day. I think people tend to think that professional footballers train for two hours a day and that that's all they do. But ultimately with the professionals these days, it's, it's not the case. They're in very early before training um, to do the activations and um, injury prevention work. Um, they can do that so by the time they go out onto the field, they're warm and they're ready to play um, or, or train. Um, as soon as they come off the field, the full medical suite is available again. So some of the players will attend for physiotherapy or uh, massage, and where others will go straight down into the ice baths or, or use the hydrotherapy pool. Um, we have a rather large restaurant as well, designed to, um, as Shabazz said, to provide the essential nutrition and um, dietary requirements that the in individual players need. Um, the players are then encouraged to stay longer in the day to come back for afternoon sessions as well. So to do that, they have a, a room where the players can relax for an hour or so after lunch before coming back down, whether they're receiving more treatment or into the gym or into the pools after that. My day would be slightly different in that we start the same. We have a multidisciplinary team uh, medical meeting and we'll discuss all the players and who's available for training, who's not available for training. Uh, and what our plans are with them for the day and longer term. Um, and then obviously I will review any uh, players and uh, see if they will be available for training, if there are doubts for training or not. And then again, the communication is the key. So we'll relay this information to the management, to the coaches, make sure that they know who is available and what the likelihood is of the availability later in the week towards the match day. Um, we will then go outside and cover the training itself in case there's any ac acute incidents during training. Um, and then later in the day, we tend to um, go over the longer term injured again, review them and see where we're headed with their plans and make sure that they're on schedule in terms of their rehab. And it's, it's a very much a multidisciplinary approach that we take. So. Um, the involvement is with everyone really. It's the doctor, the physio, the sports science department. We have um, podiatrists coming in, um, Pilates instructors, nutritionists, and we make sure we take on board uh, all components of that team to make sure that we um, provide the best possible care for our players. It sounds like you have a, a great team working there. How does that liaise with the coaching and management staff? Is there much pressure coming from that side to, to get players back when they're injured? Well, there, there's always pressure from um, coaches to get players back as soon as possible. Um, but equally, we will pride ourselves on doing the best that we can to make sure that they return from injury safely, but as soon as they, they can. Um, and to ensure that once they return, they're able to function at the highest level and not re-injure themselves. So we have to be realistic, but we also have to um, push ourselves and make sure that we're doing the best we can uh, for the players. And we're looking at all the latest research, we're looking at latest evidence, latest treatment modalities, and seeing if they are um, of sufficient evidence base to be able to be used uh, to help I'm sure you're regular readers of the BJSM website. Indeed we are. For me, I think the key is that the 
for the manager to be happy with the service we're providing and for the um, to have faith in the treatment um, advice we're giving to him and um, to the players is that the communication's there right from the start. So very early after um, an injury occurs, we will speak to him, um, give him our kind of initial perceptions about how the injury will, um, like the prognosis for the injury. Um, obviously, this immediately after a game is a very difficult time to give a time frame for an injury, but you know that's where we we use our clinical judgment to give the best um, opinion we can at the time. Um, and very soon after um, returning to our training ground, the player will be reassessed again. Um, any scans or investigations that are required will be done very early, and that's communicated to the manager so that by the time he's planning for the next game, he has the information very early about whether we're expecting a player to be fit or not. Now, it doesn't always go to plan, and sometimes um, you know, a player that we're expecting to be fit won't be, um, but as Shabazz says, we, we have to look at um, the player's best interest, but also the, the best interest of the club. You know, The premiership season is very long. Um, if they miss one game, it's not normally very long until they have to wait till the next one, and so sometimes we have to uh, make our clinical judgment uh, based on you know the priorities for the team in terms of you know does the player have to play this one game or is it too big a risk and um, that's a discussion not just for us to make but uh, in conjunction with the manager. Um, but if we have that good working relationship, he he will trust our judgment and um, accept our decisions that we make. Sounds like good communication is key. I'd wholeheartedly agree. I think communication is definitely the uh, the main factor. As a team, uh, you've been involved in some fairly high-profile sports medicine incidents, an incident of concussion. Would you like to talk through uh, the impact that that's had on, on the way that you deal with these things? Yes, I think um, obviously we, we're aware of the, the incident that occurred last year. Um, and it was one of a number of high-profile incidents that happened uh, not just in England, but as we see recently, there was one in the World Cup. Um, and in such instance, I think that the key outcome has been that the medical decision must be respected and it must be adhered to and acted upon, and, it, and that is the key decision in that time. It's certainly not, um, it's not a decision or advice that needs to be debated or... Um, and it certainly shouldn't be ignored or overruled at any time. So the key is the player's safety, and that's paramount at all times. Um, and the outcomes really have been that we need to look at it not just at the acute stage, so not just on, on match day, but that decision needs to be critical in return to play as well, because with any head injury and uh, confirmed case of concussion, there is uh, strict guidelines as to how to return to play and the progressions to follow. So it's just having an understanding of that as well as the acute management as well. Um, as an outcome of, of these incidents, what's happened is that a working group has been set up and I'm a member of this. Um, this has been set up with stakeholders from the FA, from the Premier League, from the PFA, the LMA, the Football League and the Premier League Doctors Group. We've also had input from the Referees Association, um, neurosurgeons, from other uh, sports, including rugby and horse racing. And the aim of the group was um, to increase education and awareness about head injuries and concussion and the, the, the effects of this and the seriousness of the matter. So there is an upcoming campaign that will be launched at the start of the season. It's called um, Use Your Head. 
and um, this will be done to sort of increase this education and awareness. Uh, there's also some rule changes that will help pitchside medics and really we need to um, long-term get away from this um, perception that players and coaches often have that if they get a head injury and they play on, they seem to be brave or macho to do so, but it's completely the wrong thing to be doing and um, hopefully uh, in the future we will get away from this and these sort of incidents. You're involved in another very high-profile uh, incident where Fabrice Mamba um, was treated on the pitch uh, for cardiac arrest. Could you talk us through what happened and what the outcomes were for you? The actual event itself, or the incident itself, um, we were playing Bolton. It was an FA Cup game um, at White Hart Lane. And it was the 41st minute, I believe. And... Um, I remember from, I, I can talk through my point of view, and I'm sure Jeff will, will talk through his, but um, I remember seeing a Bolton player collapse just out of the corner of my eye, and it didn't look like there was anyone near him, so it didn't look like there'd been contact. Um, so I, I just grabbed my resuscitation bag and um, ran towards the pitch, and at the same time, uh, the Bolton doctor was running alongside me, and the Bolton physio was already on the pitch, with this player that clearly was in distress. And you could tell because the other players, our players, were frantically sort of waving us over. So you could tell that this was more than, um, you know, the the normal incident that you see on a football pitch. When, when we got to Fabrice, he was lying uh, with his face down, so we turned him over. And he appeared to be having a fit, but it very quickly turned into being uh, an arrest and I, and I remember I remember putting my hands on his chest and um, there was a split second when I thought, well, either he's going to push me away here or this is actually happening and we're going to start doing CPR on a football player in the middle of the football pitch with 40,000 in the stadium watching and, and numerous millions watching on television. And uh, that's what transpired and indeed, we started the, the, the resuscitation. I mean, it, it was a complete team effort. There was our team, there was the Bolton team, there were the paramedics. And um, we um, went through quite a prolonged resuscitation on the pitch. We continued the resuscitation. We made the decision to move him, and we continued to resuscitate him as we were moving him into the ambulance. And then again, it continued all the way to the hospital into definitive care with further resuscitation and eventually um, they managed to bring him back. Yeah, I think um, from my side, obviously I saw um, similar things to Shabazz as it, um, the situation developed and it was it was very quick, you know, everything that in that moment seemed to happen very, very quickly. Um, I think the thing that was very pleasing from our point of view is how well prepared our staff were. So um, obviously Shabazz um, and our paramedics, um, as well as the the Bolton medical staff, who were also fantastic on the day. Um, so as Shabazz says, it really was a team effort where, within seconds, um, the player was surrounded by players who had the adequate equipment to to treat the problem, um, and the cardiac arrest was um, spotted very early on by Shabazz and Jonathan Tobin, the Bolton doctor. So as we went onto the pitch, CPR was commenced within one minute and the first shock was delivered inside two minutes. So on that day, the 
the staff were available to Fabrice and also had the correct equipment um, by Shabazz recognising that it was a cardiac vent so quickly, um, it allowed us to provide that treatment very quickly. Um, but on that day, you know, I would say that everything went right. Um, our paramedics were fantastic, and um, the the route to the hospital was pre-planned. Everything mm. that um, needed to go right in the sequence of events um, went right for us on that night. Um, and I think looking at that for anyone who is covering pitch side um, it's something you need to be aware that this can happen at any moment um, and I think a big thing that's come out is that there's no real place for kind of a token medic who's sitting pitch side um, without the adequate training so if you are asked to cover um, any sports event you should make sure that you have the equipment necessary should an event like this happen, um, but also that you would know what to do um, and have the right planning in place to, to facilitate the transfer of that player to a definitive care. Yeah, I'd, I would echo what Jeff was saying. Um, definitely, if you're asked to cover a game, you've got to make sure that not only is the right equipment there, but you have the right training to be able to use that equipment. Now, we go on... Um, courses yearly to make sure that we have the right training we do in-house training and practicing of these scenarios but i mean deep down i think we've we've you know we've been taught about this in our training throughout medical school and i'm sure it's the same for jeff um, but deep down you never really think it's going to happen on your watch but it you know if the, the take-home message that it can happen and it does happen and if you're covering any sort of sports event, you've got to make sure that you're prepared and expect incidents to happen. Um, I think the other key take-home message really is that in this sort of situation that the early um, resuscitation, the early cardiopulmonary resuscitation and defibrillation is key and the key is then to continue to do that resuscitation and not to stop until you're in definitive care. Um, as Jeff was saying, you know, the everything aligned for this to to work really well for Fabrice, and it, you know, it was his time um, to to recover, and it's a miraculous recovery, and you know, we're all very thankful that it did happen, and we we feel that we contributed in making sure we gave him the best chance possible for that to happen, and I think that's all that we could have done at the time. Well, it does sound like uh, the, the prior planning and preparation that you've done uh, allowed that to happen. So that's a, a great message for any, anybody who's working at a lower level in sport that you should really be prepared for the worst to happen. So at the moment, so the Football um, Association are offering a, uh, what they call an area course, which is Advanced Resuscita Resuscitation and Emergency Aid. Um, and it's a course that I would definitely recommend that any physiotherapist particularly or any doctor who is looking to be yeah. pitch side um, it's a course that's available through the FA and I'd definitely recommend that um, you look at doing that before covering any pitch side activity. Brilliant. Again, what yeah. we can do is put a link uh, with this on, on, on the website so that uh, anyone who, who wants to follow, find out about mm. that can, can do that. We've seen the success of the FIFA 11 plus in amateur football at helping to prevent injury and there's been some uh, good studies now that have shown that to be successful. Um, how would you say this influences the elite end of the game? Is it something that you guys use or do you have your own protocols for prevention of injury? I see the 11 plus was developed for amateur football but um, it has been used quite widely with some um, rather big teams throughout Europe and national teams as well. 
Um, we don't personally use it at Tottenham, um, but we do have very extensive um, injury prevention programs and um, activation programs. So the 11 plus is designed as a, um, a, a warm-up routine to, to prepare players for, for match play or for training. Um, we all our players have very extensive pre-season screening um, and from that we are able to develop individual programs um, using a range of different assessment tools from the functional movement screen to isokinetics. Um, so our players do have individual programs and in some ways not too dissimilar to um, FIFA 11. They're encouraged to do them every day before training. Um, so you know our gym is a very very busy place from about an hour before the start of training. Um, but FIFA 11 itself is not a program we follow, but it is something that I recommend. You know, entry level clubs to be thinking, okay, this is um, this is a guideline, a, a template of what we should be doing, um, and you know, you can make changes and developments from there. Can I just add, um, in terms of being a medical team, we do have a very holistic approach. So um, the injury prevention for us is just as important as treating injuries. So we we can't as a team be. Um, simply reactive to players picking up injuries and then we make sure that we get them fit again and make sure they don't re-injure but we also put a lot of emphasis on preventing injuries on the in the first place and uh, I think this is a key component of sports medicine as a whole and in the, indeed if you look at the nation and uh, exercise medicine the whole uh, it can be applied to the concept of preventing chronic disease so rather than waiting for the disease to happen and treating it, the concept is that exercise prevents you getting to the point of developing chronic diseases. Well, that's uh, a, a message that we like to put across at the BJSM every time we m make one of these podcasts. We've been talking with Jeff and Shabazz about the trials and tribulations of working at the top end of football. I'd like to wish you all a very physically active day. <laughs> <laughs>